Open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 7, and we'll begin reading with verse 1. Preach through the Bible in church in Chalchilla years and years and years ago. And every time I would finish a book, one of the ladies in the congregation would say, Pastor, are we going to study Revelation now? Well, there's a reason Revelation is the last book of the Bible. And uh, finally she said, well, when are we going to study Revelation? And I said, when we get everyone saved, get everyone spiritually mature, we just sitting around waiting for the rapture, then maybe we'll study Revelation. The motivation behind that was I hadn't yet prepared to teach the book of Revelation. And so I, after I'd been gone for 20-some years from that church, I went back and did a seminar on the book of Revelation. She was still around at that time, and um, we got through it. It's the only book in the Bible that contains a stated personal blessing for reading and understanding and applying the book to your life. We are looking at it because we have been in a series now. This is the lesson 32 in a series that we have titled Understanding Current Events in the Light of Bible Prophecy. In order for us to understand what's going on here We need to understand God's plan for us and then be able to relate to that. Beginning with verse 1 of chapter 7, And after these things, I saw four angels standing in the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel standing, uh, ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, until we have sealed the servants of our God in their forehead. In the middle of our series of understanding current events in the light of Bible prophecy, we came to our annual celebration of the signing of the Declaration of Independence on July 4th, 1776. At that time, God was prepared to take a people that were not a people and make them one nation under God which would come to be known as uh, the land of the free and the home of the brave. For more than 200 years, based on the principles and the morality that is established for us in the Bible, the United States of America would be a beacon of hope to the tired, the poor, the huddled masses, desiring to breathe the air of freedom. 
so intense was the founding father's desire for freedom, a freedom to worship and serve God according to the dictates of their own hearts, that they beat their plowshares into swords and beat their pruning hooks into spears against humanly impossible odds they set out to form a more perfect union to establish justice to ensure domestic tranquility to provide for the common defense to promote the general welfare and to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity and so from Lexington to Gettysburg the shots were heard around the world. We've enjoyed the freedom they bought for us with their bravery, with their bloodshed and sacrifice. They didn't claim divine inspiration, but they did recognize and seek after divine instruction to form the Declaration of Independence and uh, an almost perfect constitution with which to form a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. That idea set forth in those documents served us well for 246 years. The most obvious flaw, however, in those documents, was not in the documents themselves, but in those who would handle the documents. The most obvious flaw was that those documents would be handed from one generation to another generation of human beings uh, that are birth defective, spiritually dead, morally depraved, recipients of an old sin nature they inherited through human birth. They would pass this constitution and these bylaws with it to human beings. Our founding fathers recognized that flaw and they knew that without the teaching of the Bible in public schools that this nation could not survive and the freedoms that they had fought for could surely be lost. So they stressified the need of biblical principles and of promoting that in the public education system as it was developed. Because, you see, they warned that a belief in God and a dependency upon Jesus Christ for our salvation would be the only hope of maintaining the freedoms that they had presented to us. I find it interesting, personally, that both the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution were signed in the city of 
Philadelphia because it was during the period that the book of Revelation reveals to us was the Philadelphian age of the church. It was during that time of brotherly love and during that time of great spiritual awakenings that brought those settlers here and that eventually formed those documents that would guide us. The Philadelphian age of the church precedes the Laodicean age of the church as we went through that in the second and third chapters of the book of Revelation. I wonder if it was the planning of the founding fathers or perhaps it was the guiding light of the Heavenly Father that gave us this kind of country, this kind of government that we might be able to do the work that the Lord Jesus Christ has left for the church to do. But today, the advice of the founding fathers concerning the role of the Bible in society has been totally rejected by government. The government of the people and by the people and for the people abandon biblical principles. And Romans chapter 1 Verses 28 through 32 says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but they have pleasure in them that do them. The church, charged with the preservation of these sacred principles, has abandoned the message that God set forth in His Word, perverted the principles that were designed to protect society from itself and to provide a sacred framework for a functional social order to be preserved. Today the church has adopted the way of the Laodicean as outlined in Revelation chapter 3 verses 14 through 22. Under the angel of the church of Laodicea write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not 
that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I give to sit with me on my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with the Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we're in the last times. The rapture of the church is imminent. God is about to judge this world order and to usher in the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have seen in our earlier studies during this series the stage in heaven and the stage here on the earth or being readied for that final chapter in time itself, at the end of which time will be no more and eternity will be ushered in. In our study last time, we saw the seven-sealed scroll in Revelation chapter 6. The tragedies and the horrors of that seven-year period were introduced to us in that study as we saw the seven seals one by one open. And then we noted the seventh seal of Revelation is held up, and the seventh chapter of the book of Revelation is inserted before that seventh seal is open. This insertion of the seventh chapter is to introduce God's basic continuing principle of grace. Having described for us that which is going to occur in a general sense and that which is the focus of the first three and a half years of the tribulational period, we have this break in the continuity of the text as chapter 7 is inserted. And we are introduced once again to God's principle of grace, the reality that before God judges, He always offers a a period of grace. And so, in the seventh chapter, we have the sealing of the evangelists of Israel as they are introduced, and then we have the result of their evangelism in a brief glimpse into the entire period and beyond that into the time of Christ's reign upon the church. Most expositors of the Bible recognize there are two different groups mentioned in this second chapter. In verses 1 through 8, we have one group that are identified as evangelists. And then in verses 9 through 17, we have 
a glimpse of the result of their evangelization during that seven-year period. Well, they'll only be the evangelists in the first three and a half years, and then two other Jews will reappear on the scene for the last three and a half years to finish that out. Look with me then at chapter 7, verses 1 through 8 for this first segment. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth or on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed. And there were sealed an hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Asher was sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Naphtali were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Manassas were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Ishkar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zabulon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. Let's look at this a little closer this morning. It begins with that statement, and after these things I saw the four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, or on the sea, or on any tree. Now the four angels that are identified here uh, apparently are not prominent uh, uh, creatures that uh, require any further uh, information about they are simply identified as having been specified for this this detail of holding back the four winds of the earth they're part of God's restraining forces against judgment until the sealing of these 144,000 is complete the word winds is used in scripture to be an agency that God uses to carry out His purposes. And uh, the book of Psalms gives us some insight into that. In verse 2 here in Revelation chapter 7, He says, I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, so this angel is different than the other four angels. This angel has the seal of the living God, 
This is the angel of the Lord, a term that is used frequently in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament, an identification as being the second person of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one that has the seal of life and uh, the seal of the Holy Spirit. And so he is visioned here for us in this context. The seal of the living God probably includes then a special endowment of the Holy Spirit for these emissaries, these evangelists during that year, you uh, during that uh, ministry. You will recall that the church age is the only age that has the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Throughout the Old Testament, there was a giving of the Holy Spirit. There was a coming upon uh, by the power of the Spirit of those that were appointed to service. But it's only in the church age that the Holy Spirit lives within the believer and our bodies become the temple of the living God and have that kind of ministry. And that work holds back the tribulation until the church is raptured. The last seven years of the finish of that Old Testament dispensation of the age of Israel. And so they are specially endowed with the Holy Spirit, certain ones for certain performance and can be removed. And that's shown here, the 144,000 are being endowed with the power and the Spirit of God. And so the Lord says, hold back the winds, hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor any of the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God in their forehead. I'll remind you in our earlier study, we saw the destruction of a quarter of the population of the earth and, and calamities in the sea and in the celestial space, uh, as well as upon the earth, we saw repeatedly those things occurring. But before that occurs, this event takes place. So we have an insertion. We have uh, a parenthesis to go back and explain how before that happened, these things take place. He sealed the servants of God in their forehead. In a period uh, that we're going to see during that time of ownership, scarcity, uh, and uh, very uh, many vital factors that are taking place upon the earth, the seal of God in the forehead of the saints uh, is essential to the ministry that they are going to be taking care of. Verses 4 through 8 then identifies the number of those that were sealed as being uh, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. In case you may be wondering, this is not the 144 special elite Jehovah's Witness uh, that they have designated as going to be in heaven. 
They believe that only 144 of their followers are going to be in heaven and the rest are going to be on the earth. Uh, they, they mess up a lot in the way of biblical understanding and interpretation as well. Some have suggested even from the mainline uh, evangelical churches that this is to be understood uh, not literally, uh, but rather symbolically or allegorically this number of 144,000. But remember, as I approach the Word of God in my study and my teaching, I take a literal approach unless there is something in the text that identifies against that. But here it would seem strange that he uses that as a, a, a metaphorical or allegorical application and then then tribe by tribe lists 12,000 from each tribe. And so we must take this in the literal sense and uh, and understand that uh, there there are a number of reasons for that and first the the fact that they are israelites is very clearly stated in verse 4 that they are of the tribes of the children of israel second they cannot be the church because the church is separate from Israel, and I simply refer you to the doctrine of dispensations and the way God's divided time and appointed um, emissaries. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Administrators during that period of time. So this is the completion of the Jewish age, of the age of Israel, and these are identified tribe by tribe. It cannot refer, as some might suggest, to Israel in general, to the entire Hebrew race, because they have the seal of God and uh, are given the Spirit of God, and that certainly would not happen apart from the born-again children of God. And finally, we notice these servants are uh, identified by tribe, literally, and uh, are sealed as being redeemed. Uh, we find uh, a statement further about them, and we'll spend a little time on this a little later in our series. Over in Revelation chapter 14, verse 4, says, These are they which have not been defiled with women, for they are virgins. How are we going to get 144? thousand virgin twelve thousand out of each tribe god's got his work cut out i i say that because there was an article that came out in the los angeles times back in 1981 that identified an organ jewish organization uh, that was trying to build the unity of 144 Jewish virgin males to bring this into existence. Man took it upon himself to form an association of committed male virgins from the various tribes of Israel to bring this about. They weren't too successful. I haven't ever done any follow-up on that since about 1981. 
but they had 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 a number as large as as a couple of dozen, but at that time they were back down to four. So that's going to be God's work. He's going to take care of that, and uh, uh, we don't have to try to legislate it or bring it into to existence. They've not they, these hundred and forty four thousand have not defiled themselves with with women. They are virgins, and uh, they follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. They are redeemed from men. They bring the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb, and in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So that's from Revelation chapter 14. In about 40 years, we ought to be to that point and be able to to address that a little more fully. No, this is a focus not on a verse-by-verse study of Revelation, but rather upon biblical prophecy as it relates to current events. And so we will cover some of that very quickly. As the number 144,000, then we take to be literal as is explained in the situation. Now, uh, we, the, the fact that uh, the tribe of Dan is missing from that list. You see 12,000 from each tribe, and there are 12 that are listed, but Daniel is missing from that. And uh, not only uh, is that an interesting point when we look at, at uh, God's dealing with Israel, but the tribe of Levi is included. Now the tribe of Levi was not allowed uh, any land when they went in to possess the land. God chose the tribe of Levi to be his, his ministers that would work in the temple, that would provide and preside over the sacrificial system and all of that. So they were... Well, as my kids used to say, when people would ask, what kind of work does your father do? They would say, my father doesn't work. He's a preacher. (laughs) So in the situation in Levi, they had no time for crops. They had no time for shepherding and herding. And so they were given 45 cities scattered throughout the land of Israel where they could dwell, but in rotation, and we saw that earlier in our study, 24 different teams uh, um, were divided, they were divided into, and they would serve in various shifts, and so they were not allowed any land. But in the millennial age, there won't be any need for that, and so we find that they are being assigned to some land uh, as well as just the 45 cities. Now, the time of the sealing of these, I, I mentioned the tribe of Dan. Let me enlarge on that just a little bit. Um, there's only speculation. We always get in trouble when the, all we can do is speculate because we're not given... Uh, exact detail, but the speculation concerning Dan is, uh, for, for one thing, 
uh, the tribe of Dan was the first tribe to go into idolatry. And when they selected the land, they got as far away from Jerusalem as possible. And so they are uh, eliminated by supposition. We might suppose that that would be a reason that the tribe of Dan is not listed. Another reason is that has been cited by those who have studied the situation, and yet we can't be dogmatic on it either, is because the Antichrist comes from the tribe of Dan. That's documented for us uh, in the Old Testament. And uh, whatever the case may be, Dan is omitted. And yet we have 12 tribes. Because you may recall that the tribe of Joseph was divided between his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so we have uh, the makeup for the tribe of Dan that is missing there. God is going to provide these 144,000 evangelists to do the work of evangelizing during the first three and a half year period of uh, the tribulation. God will always provide himself a witness. uh, And so before the events that were described in chapter 6 began, then... He, John is shown what occurs before these things happen. I need to seal these hundred and forty-four thousand. So it appears that the sealing of uh, uh, these hundred and forty-four thousand takes place before the events that are identified in a general overview in chapter six. And once we get beyond. Uh, This, then in chapter 8, we have the seventh seal open, and then we see detail concerning the things that are going to take place during the tribulation. So we've seen 144,000 that are designated by God. We took a brief look at uh, that which they uh, are identified as being selected for And then John sees another group. After he sees the sealing of the 144,000 evangelists, he is shown the result of their ministry. And that begins in verse 9 of chapter 7. After this I beheld and lo a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about Uh, the elders and the four living creatures and fell before the throne on their face and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered saying to me, 
What are these that are arrayed in white robes, and whence come they? And I said, Sir, thou knowest. And he said, These are they which come out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple, as he sitteth on the throne, and shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them into living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So once again, we have a variety of opinions that are given to identify this particular group. First of all, it can be stated with a great deal of confidence that they are not the same group that is identified in the first part of the chapter, but rather they are the representatives of those that they have ministered to. To mingle the two groups together, not good theology and certainly not good chronological analysis of the word of God. They are, secondly, not the church. They are separate from the elders that are identified as the church in our earlier learning and are seen here in verses 11 and 13. Third, nothing is intimated concerning death or resurrection, and so they are probably, and we'll see that later on, on the earth. Fourth, they are the, the, the redeemed as is indicated in the text in verses 13 and 14. Fifth, the time of their salvation is after the rapture. And how they came to saving faith is not specifically stated, but we must harmonize that contextually and identify these are those that are saved by hearing the gospel from the 144,000 as God ministers salvation during the tribulation. Verse 9 says, After this I beheld and lo a great multitude, which no man can number of all nations, and kindreds, and people, and tongues. They stood before the throne, and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hand. An innumerable multitude is identified here. And uh, the in, they're standing in the presence of God and identified as the Lamb and they're clothed with white robes which are identified in biblical symbolism as we've studied it through our study is garments of righteousness. The palms in their hands indicate that they have found a place of victory and peace. In verse 10, it says, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. 
So this praise that they generate harmonizes with the similar praise on the part of the church in the events following immediately after the rapture. Verses 11 and 12 say, And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and honor and wisdom and thanksgiving and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. So the angels and the elders and the four living creatures join in this same praise, though they have had an earlier time of praise as well. Verse 13 says, And one of the elders then answered me, saying, What are these, and who are these arrayed in white robes, and where do they come from? So remember one of the elders in our earlier study, the elders represent the church. The church has been raptured. They've been before the judgment seat of Christ. They have been prepared as the bride of the bridegroom. They are clothed in righteousness. They are clothed in their white robes. And they've been praising God. And now we shifted that scene down to the earth and uh, uh, looking at what has transpired uh, here. But before that goes, we have the ceiling then of these 144,000 and uh, one of the elders. So that would be one from the uh, raptured church says, who are these people and what is this? And John says, I don't know. You know. You tell me what it is. He said, Sir, thou knowest. And so the elder said to him, These are those which come out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, if this congregation had been the church, John would have recognized them as such. But the elder identifies them as those that are redeemed coming out of the great tribulation, out of the, literally out of the tribulation, the great one. And that's a reference to uh, this period of Jewish administration that will wind down before the second advent of Christ. Now verse 15 says, Therefore, are they before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night in His temple, and He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. So where are they standing? Well, some believe that they're standing in heaven. Others believe that they are in heaven before the throne of God, because of that statement, they are before the throne of God. But as we look at the text, it speaks of day and night. Now, according to Revelation 21-22 and 21-25, there is no night, nor is there a temple in heaven. Those things are found here on the earth. But these verses in Revelation then 
if they spoke of eternity and not the time of the tribulation, uh, it would be in conflict that in eternity we're not going to have any day or night. But as we look at it, we must determine that this is during the millennium when Christ comes back and uh, uh, establishes millennial kingdom. That's when these are presented and arrayed in that man that manner. In re- in verse sixteen, it says, "They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall shall the sun light on them, nor any heat." God Himself is as the Lamb of God is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them in the living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So the wiping away of tears, they have some tears. He's going to wipe them away. There are no tears in eternity. And so this is the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ here upon the earth. The Lamb shall feed them, He shall lead them, and God shall wipe away the tears from their eyes. Their message is not found in chapter 7. Some references are made to the glory of God and in their worship, but to understand their message, we would have to go all the way to Revelation chapter 14. And... uh uh, because it'll be a while before we get there, I wanted to take you there today just for the reading of the statement. I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Sion, and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder, and I and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps, and they sung as it were a new song from the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which have not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These are redeemed from men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. That would be the first fruits following the rapture of the church. And in their mouth was found no guile, and they are without fault before the throne of God. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. That will be their message during the first three and a half years of the tribulational period. Judgment is coming. The stages are being set. 
The rapture is imminent. Those that are in Christ are going to ascend to heaven, and those that are left here upon the earth are going to experience the wrath of an angry God because we know what is about to be unleashed on the earth. Peter raises the question, what manner of person ought we to be? And then he identifies that in holy conversation and godliness. Holy conversation, hagiasa, anastrophos, means that which is set apart in conduct and behavior according to the specific of God's guidelines. That's the message for us today, that we become set apart in conduct and in behavior according to the guidelines that we find in the Word of God. This word is associated with the idea of turning back or walking in a circle or as a sojourner. So we are to conduct our behavior according to the guidelines that are established in the Word of God, appointed to us as sojourners, using the gifting that God has given us individually, living alongside the locals to do the business of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so your gifting and your circumstances day by day determine your role in doing the business of the King. Administration, exhortation, teaching, service, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, helps, mercy, or giving. Within that list you find and identify the gifting that God has provided you in order that we might live lives set apart unto Him doing the King's business. The word godliness is an interesting word in trying to find a parallel uh, in the English language and association. The actual meaning of that word, Eusebius, is a Godward attitude that manifests itself in doing that which is pleasing to God. You're godly if you have that Godward attitude that demonstrates itself in doing that which is pleasing to God. The current events of our day call us then to a commitment to have an attitude that would manifest itself in our doing that which is pleasing to God. God has provided salvation. He has provided gifting. He is providing equipping along with daily circumstances he allows us to get into or he actually brings in cases upon us so that we might represent him, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When we're taken up to be with him, this 144th 
24,000 of the house of Israel will be saved to become the proclaimers of the amazing grace of God. And they'll be doing that in the midst of one catastrophic experience after another that we are going to be exploring then in the weeks that are ahead. This is the king's command. That all men everywhere repent and turn away from sin's seductive snare that all who will obey with him shall reign for a. That's my business for our king. But it all begins at salvation. But the Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We're in the Laodicean period of the church age. God says to those in the Laodicean church, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to sup with him, and he will sup with me. God has provided an opportunity for us to understand somewhat about his plan in order that we might be motivated to do the work he has called us individually to do and to live a godly life before those that are not part yet of the kingdom of God. A Godward attitude that manifests itself in doing that which is well-pleasing to God. Let's pray. Our Father, we give you thanks for your word. For the peep into the future to motivate us, Father, to be active in the present in that which you have given us to do. Give us your strength and your wisdom, your mercy and your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.